An aspect of the uh, the practice that we've been talking about, that we need to be aware of and address, is the sense of the community. There's quite a lot of um, appreciation, even kind of sometimes blatant fantasies about the delights of solitary practice, which can be quite miserable at times. Um, <laughs> there's always that idea of you know get up up the mountain, everything's going to be fine. Um, so the community, you know, we can see as, uh, as kind of mundane and people and things like that. And so on. if you approach it with that attitude and follow it up with those kinds of attitudes and the thoughts and the actions and the speech that come from those attitudes, it is indeed miserable, well, miserable but just kind of, so what's mundane, boring, sort of, you know, domestic, doesn't really go beyond anything. But um, Sangha is, there is an element of communality in Sangha, to what the very word means. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a sense of an assembly. So, although the Buddha was not a great fan of socialising, he certainly made it impossible for us not to be connected to each other on some level. And there's mendicant the sense of the, the parisa, the great assembly with the lay people, and then the sense of belonging to the, the sangwasa, the abiding together with the fellow samanas. This is what we, the kind of template of our, um, our life. So this is something then that very much encourages the cultivation of, of um, empathy, and sympathy, and uh, I think perhaps uh, empathy is perhaps a little more conscious. Sympathy is the natural way in which we do pick up and feel and resonate and vibrate um, in accordance with our experience of other people and the creatures, particularly, um, you know, little birds and rabbits and things, um, and, uh, and other humans. And this sense of natural um, sympathos that is a feeling conjoined with it's a sympathetic experience if you don't recognize this then you know you you're, you're quite you must be quite out of tune really but you're bound to get some kind of resonance if you're conscious if you've got some you know if you're aware of your own um, sensitivity with the experience of of creatures. Um, and obviously humans, humans one's related to. You look across a landscape, you see one human being in that landscape, you look at them, 
People really start to think, why has he got that funny hat on? <laughs> Where's he going? <laughs> you just you tend to galvanise on, on the human being. You may feel, even if you look at the hill, you get some feeling of grandeur or space or delight or whatever. You know, you, you naturally resonate. That's an aspect of perception. You know, so when we talk about sympathy, it's more, you more really own, acknowledge that. Uh, empathy is much more conscious in that you deliberately place yourself into a, a, another's predicament as you feel for them. You deli- it's more deliberate more consciously directed. So sympathy is often just a natural process of perception. Empathy is a little more kind of deliberate intention in it. And so and the um, so the Anukampang is a word that the Buddha used to describe his own um, empathetic qualities, saying that someone who their mind is concerned with, feels with, they're just their uh, Disciples, he says, I have the uh, you know out of sometimes it's translated out of compassion, but um, you know I teach this out of compassion. In other words, I, I feel for you, and so this is something that the Buddha is deliberately you know putting in you know deliberately taking on. Didn't have to, and could have um, you know going to some sort of absorption where you don't actually shift your perceptions out of the range. So that deliberate inclining of one's sensitivity towards this realm, empathy, is the uh, one of the qualities that the Buddha manifests. This is a kind of, you know, one would say this is a basis of training. Sympathy is a natural fact of life. Empathy is a basis of training. So that, it, uh, and this is where we get the uh, cultivation of the Brahma-vihara, comes through this deliberate empathizing. What's it like to be where you are? What would make what would be for your well being? So you can see that this is just that initial intent, in some ways already uh, you know, a step on this path of anatta, not self. So if we think not-self is some kind of obliteration of people, obliteration of personalities, um, this wouldn't be a Buddhist experience. A Buddhist experience is one of the, the sense of, of self-centeredness, um, which can be tremendous self-concern and, and indifference to others. It's the kind of coarsest manifestation of self, and it's greedy, violent, dismissive, and so on, um, callous, then this is a coarsest aspect of self-view. And you can't really expect to get the kind of more refined aspects of anatta, like the sense of insubstantiality. You haven't dealt with the coarse stuff. So the idea that one can dismiss all sentient beings and then go to a state of anatta, um, <laughs> you know, it means you've got a big fat attar sitting right in the middle of you. <laughs> Yujita <laughs> saying, don't bother me. <laughs> and pretending it's not there. <laughs> so 
So, admit, you know, admittedly, that the, the life of a summer is not one of kind of massive social engagement, so it's a kind of refined thing, and yet there is that, that, that sense in which we do try to be very clear and conscious and acknowledge, um, you know, the participation in our, our lives. And, and practicing with that kind of fundamental aspect of training, you, you help others, you, you see, if you're not asked, you look out, you know, to be going around saying, people, please help, please do this, I need this, could you help me with this? I mean, you know, if this is the case, then it, it's, um, you know, maybe one should consider it's a little bit unfortunate if we don't actually look out and think, she's having difficulty with that, or what would help her do that? Or just that kind of recognition of, you know, what's it like to be looking after the pantry? Or what are the Nagarikas? What's happened with them? You know, this monk or this nun, and particularly one is very the more clear one is that you, you don't you don't really even work in those particular categories. You start to conceive of men or women or anagarikas or monks, and you tend to come with the kind of stereotypes. But you more like feel out the more clear you get about it. You actually begin to recognise and witness other people as they actually are, and then try to open up to that. So this does often involve a fair amount of you know, some amount of clear uh, connection, clear dialogue. One of the aims of the, of the, because this can be quite complex, the aims of our training is to so simplify the life and its rudimentary think qualities that we've already established a basic um, language, you know, if you like, call it a language, basic set of references. Um, I'm interested in, in sense restraint. Hey, I'm interested in morality. I'm interested in being mindful. We don't have to sort of debate these things. It's a kind of fundamental, you know, um, that's our visa, that's how we got here. So that uh, one can then look at what would actually help this person to, you know, to be to be mindful. What actually would help them to check sense, uh, sense outflows, what would actually be conducive to that. And so that kind of, these are helpful references to, this gives us kind of, more direct ways of working and trying to figure out everybody personally. So that means there is some kind of letting go of one's of what can seem to be, you know, the the, um, the dominant centre of our life, which is me, that experience. And that can be because that sense of me is so is so continuing. It may be it may be moving, but it continues to occur and reoccur and reoccur and reoccur. Um, you know, then and it takes on everything. You know, like my practice and my enlightenment, and my peace of mind, my time, my space, my life, my death, my you know all this kind of thing going on all the time my opinions and my ways and my... That, that certainly, see how the practice gets pulled into that. It quite, can be quite obsessive. So, just recognising kind of whole domain of life that we live, you know, that, that you can't actually separate this physical body, really, from the 
the elements around, like the need for food and water and shelter. You know, it's kind of rudimentary, but you can't actually cut it off. You can't, you can't be independent. So that sense of connectedness and the sense in which we are, we are empathetic is as fundamental as that. It's as fundamental as the fact you need to eat and you need to have a roof over your head. You need to drink water. You need to have... You get sick. It means you've got to have somebody help you. Mm. So it's as, it's as fundamental as that. I mean, it's, it's not you're continually <coughs> seeking reassurance and, and this, that and the other. Anyone you're continually seeking food and shelter. You, you have to, it's that kind of level in which empathy is... is, is um, it's to be deliberately sustained as what it would be as one's efforts to go out to get some food are sustained, or one's efforts to stay warm are sustained, or one's efforts to to be healthy are sustained. They're sustained because of other people's acts of generosity and kindness. Similarly, one's own practice should have that sustaining of empathy for others as a natural balance to it. Otherwise, it's... um. It's, it gets imbalanced. This unskillful karma. That is the, the, the field and the domain of karma is narrow. So when the Buddha talked about right view, he said, right view, there is mother, there is father. And it's that sense of, you know, you, you do belong to something. You know, just a kind of isolated fragment. And in the summoner life, then we have our fellow summoners, teachers, lay people, and so on. You know, we belong to this assembly. So that the right, right view is in a way of, of acknowledging the process of what one has inherited, one's vipaka. Mm. Acknowledging that one has inherited something, one has come from something, one is sustained by something. Therefore, this is your, this is the domain that we have to purify our actions, our thoughts, our hearts through. And this doesn't, you know, as in, the, in the, uh, cultivating the mind, it doesn't mean it's not necessarily a tremendous amount of manifest physical, physical action. So much as the, the basic sustaining of that that awareness of a enlarged awareness, and the more that one can comprehend fully that whole field of awareness itself as being um, not a subject that is not a person, not belonging to somebody, not mine, equally shared, equally participated in, then this is a further step in terms of anatta. That is, if one conceives of other beings and, you know, feels empathy and concern for them, but actually you're always projecting what you think they want, what you think they need, what you think is good for so-and-so, and what you, you know, what he really needs to be told about, without ever actually listening to anybody, you know, then maybe you've got the idea of being, trying to be helpful and selfless, but it's a kind of selfish selflessness. It's a selflessness based upon my views of what's right and good and so on. It's not a kind of participation experience. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, in, in the, what um, right, is very set up here, you know, 
You think that someone actually, you know, have a kind of symbolic, or it may seem to be the feeling that one is actually asked, please say something, please give a talk. Oh, the feeling there's a kind of symbiosis happening. So further cultivation of anatta is not just to have the, the intention, also the capability that it takes to really empathize with you. have to actually get some openness to just clue into what's happening rather than come from one's own preconceptions. A little bit more letting go there. They're developing conscious and full, accurate listening. This is, this is rare for people, even well-intentioned people. Sometimes the, 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 the brilliance or the, uh, um, of their intention, um, you know, or, or the power of it, can kind of blot out their receptivity. You're so concerned with other people's welfare, you don't actually listen to anybody. You end up dragging old ladies across roads whether they want to go there or not. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, a kind of missionary zeal, you know, and you're kind of ramming things down people's throats and... So the, the teaching of itself is that which is requested mm. in specific occasion or in general terms. Well, you realize that's the only way it possibly could be to be, really be an enlightenment, awakening teaching. It means that the basic domain of receptivity has to be established you know, in all parties. Otherwise it doesn't wake. You can, you know, it, it, it dominates. So this is, again, you see how that, that, that quality of selflessness deepens. And the Brahma-Vihara are, are ways of more skillfully monitoring and uh, penetrating the subtler forms of self-interest that are concerned with um, pleasantness, pleasure, uh, uh, success, um, calm, peacefulness. Mm. That is that that e- even when one uh, has a concern for well-being and you listen to other people and you're receptive, you may be still worried. You know, you're sad, or you think, "Oh dear, so many problems." Oh, mm. You know, so it's still this kind of feeling of, oh, "I don't like this. I don't. Why can't it be another way? I don't want to be with this. Why can't people be this way or that way?" You know, there's still some kind of sense of self-interest there, isn't there? You know, we get excited when it seems to be going well. You know, my group is really good. We're really swinging along now. So then we get into that that kind of um, um, mood, which is admittedly is, is you know not an unpleasant mood. But then you, you can get kind of too clubby. It gets like you've got your little club together. Finally, you know, we've got a kind of agreeable community, so don't let's don't let, don't let anybody disruptive into it. <laughs> you get that kind of attitude. We new disruptive people. We've got it sorted out nice and smooth now. And then this, you know, this isn't really the holy life either. Don't let's do anything that might disturb, you know, break up the harmony. By doing anything that somebody disagrees with, 
So one can attach to the pleasantness and the and the peacefulness of of, of harmony. There's another little kind of handhold you're trying to gradually prize yourself away from. <laughs> really, and fundamentally, it's like this whole way. I'm, I'm personally begin to appreciate this teaching as more and more to you know you you refine down to establishing your basis in your intent. That is what you're putting out, not in what's happening. You know, what you're not on your the field of a, of attention. That is not in the objects that are going on, but in actually one's one's response to that, which means there's certainly not a full as full awareness as there can be of any person, situation, scenario, whatever. And yet, one doesn't ignore that, but certainly one doesn't feed on it, nor does one one doesn't neither feeds on it nor pushes it away nor ignores it. You maintain. You have to maintain intent, purity of intent, because that's the only thing that you can do. This is where karma is. This is where your, your present creative action is, is in your intention. Intention is the karma. And in terms of manifesting, in terms, you know, in terms of that manifestation is, is going to be in this way, this kind of, in terms of intent, you know, what you put out. That you manifest. So that's the only thing. You, that's the thing you've got. That's the thing you can do. That's about all you can do, really. You can't expect happiness. You can't expect success. Nor should one expect disappointment or failure. To, to maintain purity of intent is a refuge. And uh, Brahma Vihara, this is, um, these are, if you like, our, our skillful intents. Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. This metta is the quality that uh, begins with the appreciation of the, of the lovableness of beings. So, um, it's like the, the feeling of well-being. And so, so if you you begin to look at what metta is, immediate cause is the perception of another being being lovable. That is, you you that feeling of enjoying their presence. So this is a little more just kind of some altruistic. This is good for you, which is an idea, but there's a feeling. You know, as a feeling of I enjoy. You know? uh, I think, and if you recognise in your own life, you know what was actually somebody doing what's good for you, and somebody actually enjoying you. I'm not saying, that, you know, that the, the doing good for other people is 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 wrong or you know anything like that. I'm just saying that in terms of what really seems to you know, the quality of, of metta itself is the feeling, in my mind, anyway, of having been enjoyed. And it actually enjoys me being around. And you get a sense of, you know, it brightens, you know, it, it, it fills out. Mm. You, feel like you feel nourished by that.
Karuna is the is is um, begins with the perception of of the helplessness. People beings are are kind of you know floundering. There's a helplessness about them. So that, therefore, you want something you looks to to is a sense of concern, empathetic concern. You see how those both are are they're, they're empathetic, aren't they? You, to in, to really enjoy, you know, you really connect to some what they're doing, somebody or a thing. Mudita is the um, ability to to resonate, um, to be gladdened by uh, others' success or happiness, well, good fortune. And Pekka is more. The quality of of uh, recognizing karma, the the cause and effect process that 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 we manifest through, and to really you know, to, in order to appreciate karma as karma, to appreciate cause and effect as cause and effect, to see that you know what's happening to you, what you're going through, is part of some process, you know, its cause and will have its effects. There are there are unfortunate ones and unfortunate ones. There are fortunate ones in the past which are happening for you now, otherwise you wouldn't be here. There are unfortunate ones that are happening for you now, otherwise you wouldn't be here. <laughs> Looking for some kind of resolution. <laughs> and right now, you know, there are fortunate ones that you may be, you know, picking up and taking forward. And there may be unfortunate ones, you know. But so this is this is a process. Now, if, if we really get that kind of experience of a sort of you know of the totality of what's happening, then it, you know you don't really have an angle on that. You just that's that's it, isn't it? You don't kind of think, well, no, it should be, couldn't it? It's this. So you don't, there's no particular angle. So you, you know you just you want to be with it, but you don't have anything to do on it. Just you know, you're with it. So this is uh, upeka, is this sense of really like a evenness. You know, you're really fully there with something. So it's different from an indifference, a stale sort of quality. It's not stale and and, and bored. <laughs> and I think we, when one begins to appreciate and and feel comer uh, as comer, then in order to do that. There is a, there has to be an eradication of a kind of, of a lump of a, of a, of a self view. You don't see this person is this. They always have been that way. They will be that way. You, you recognise this person is a window through which karmic forces are flowing. See that does kind of shift the hard edges that we can have when we start to judge people. You, know, you get a few perceptions of somebody, and that becomes who they are: concrete, established, eternity. Mm. They'll pick on, yeah, you know, they, she's going through this, he's doing that, this is coming up for him, that's coming up for her. And that, that, in order to experience that, there has to be some experience of space, of something beyond karma. Mm. In order to see something, you've got to get a little bit beyond it to get some perspective on it. So Pekar is a very wide, even presence 
Yeah, I'm sure we will have, well, I hope we will have some kind of uh, <laughs> recognition of, of those things. Yeah. If you, yeah, so if you, you find yourself straining to trying to develop some metta, then maybe the best thing to do is just try, try, try to remember what it was like to, to, to receive a little bit, what it was like to be enjoyed by somebody. And he actually liked you, know, was fond of you. How nice that was. Somebody looked happy to see you. You your dog. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your keno meat out. Your dog. Dogs are great because they always look happy to see you. That's why people have them, because humans. <laughs> your goldfish look happier than the humans sometimes. <laughs> Today is uh, 20th, 20th anniversary of my father's death, so I, I thought I'd use mm, some, as I remember him, you know, I thought I'd acknowledge his, his Brahma Vihara, you know, someone who seemed to actually enjoy his, his children, <coughs> look cheerful, bright, laughed a lot, liked to play with us, liked to take us out, made an effort to do so didn't do it in a kind of dutiful way, it looked like he was having fun. But I think that, that to me was, you know, a very a beautiful quality. If he'd have done it as a sense of duty, that would have been a good thing to do, but it wouldn't have reached so far as that sense, because, it, you know, when somebody else is having fun, you feel yourself let go and unwind and, and relax as well. So that you naturally, this is what empathy means. You and the other person, the way I sh- uh, he's, to de- his deliberate action has created a kind of field or a domain of consciousness which you participate in. So I found this was, uh, you know, a really, really helpful um, and supportive quality in my father. Um, also, the sense of um, uh, concern or trying to to uh, to um, support one. So that metta and karuna are, are different in that metta is like a that which nourishes the well-being and karuna is the quality that comes from rec- recognizing one's um, vulnerability and trying to protect or look after or, or uh, uh, you know, nourish in some way. So it's a different mood in the heart. Mm. Mudita is, is um, I remember my brother was telling me one time, he said he was wanted to, my brother, my father had a small business and my brother used to to work for him. So he was kind of working this business. The idea was he and I were supposed to take over, but I was no, you know, obviously it wasn't my inclination. So I quickly let them know. Um, my brother was kind of quite into it. So I used to work tremendously long hours, and I think my brother wanted to take a weekend off of work. He wanted to go off with his girlfriend. And so he kind of thought about this, you know. And it, you know, my brother, having seen my father, sort of came out and he, said, he looked really surprised. He said, not only did he say yes, he also gave me the car, told me a nice place where I could go for the weekend. <laughs> you know, so it was a sense of like, well, good, my, my son's going to have a good time. Well, go ahead, son, you know, really enjoy yourself. That feeling of actually um, 
picking up the, the, the happiness rather than thinking, oh, well, I've got to work on my own, or, you know, irresponsible youth, kind of thing. So that, I mean, these things do require a certain strength, don't they? If we, if we can't empathize, if we can't deliberately see it from another person's point of view, then what happens is, oh, well, I'll be left alone, or why do I have to do it? You know, you get into worry and agitation. Or, um, 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 poor me, self-pity. Or, you know, if you don't, can't manifest upeka, then you, you just get depressed about, um, you know, it's the endless quality of this faring on, where there will always be new stuff coming up, where you tend to kind of want to make it all perfect. process of emptying out self, the empathy and and how that emptiness, emptying out self comes through empathy is something that the Buddha um, saw was particular to his teaching. There was an occasion when, as he mentioned in the Sanyutta Nikaya, where some disciple or another went into the park might have been Samati or somewhere. He saw the wanderers of other sects sitting around, engaged in all kinds of desultory chat the way they normally were. And they sort of stiffened up when he came along. Get it together, lads. Here comes one of the Buddha's people trying to look good here. And they said, oh, please sit down. (laughs) And they said, "Uh, what did your teacher teach? And he said, said, well, my teacher, the Buddha, he teaches... Metta Karuna Mudita Upeka. It's the worst, so do we. We do exactly the same thing. We teach you spread metta to four directions, Karuna, four directions, Mudita, four directions, and Upeka in the four directions. We do that exactly the same. What's your teacher got that's so good? And Jisai went, um, ah, um, ah, I better go and see the Lord about that one. So he went back <laughs> to see the Tathagata, and, uh, the Buddha said, said, as it didn't have any doubts, the Buddha said, uh, I see no one except either the Tathagata or the Tathagata's disciples who could possibly cultivate the Brahma Vihara the way that, to, to its, in terms of its excellence, in, term, in terms of its true cultivation, in terms of its excellence, in terms of its fruit, and in terms of its goal. You ask them that if they know that. Mm-hmm. And that it should be cultivated in terms of detachment, dispassion, stopping, and complete and utter letting go. See if they got that one. So, and then he talked about it, and it, it does um, remind us that these valuable qualities that we can all remember and manifest are our basis that can be refined, meditated upon, taken in deeply to the point where they're, they're not just about you know, maintaining nice social relationships. If they were that, that would be good. That would be fine. But it would not by itself, it would certainly be an attenuation of self-view, a way to let go of some of one's 
um, afflictive behavior. But it wouldn't be an awakening to, to emptiness and to anatta, to nibbana, to deathlessness. So in the Buddha, but the Buddha's cultivation then takes that basis of things that we can probably all recognize and touch into and then takes it deeper and deeper and deeper until there's nowhere else, nowhere else to go. And the, the practice of detachment um, and dispassion, this is where we've, we've actually acknowledged the consciousness, the presence as, uh, as here. So what I'm talking about is that instead of say, I'm here, you're there, I look after you, you look after me, which is you know, say a kindly thought, skillful thought, then as a re- I have a recognition in my mind, I see this person, this is the feeling that arises. When, I, when the feeling arises, I think this. When I don't see that person, that feeling doesn't arise. It's a recognition, if you like, that the qualities of one's, uh, of other people, the perceptions of other people are really very much associated with one's own process. Hmm? We're living in a, in a realm of consciousness rather than isolated objects and isolated subjects. We're living in a continual realm of vibrant empathy whether a person's present, dead, um, you know, or, or absent. Um, those are just perceptions that occur in the mind. So it's, in other words, I'm talking about what I've sometimes talked about as closing the door so that now this is all where I am. There's nobody else out there. There's, you know, there are perceptions and visual forms. What's happening is here for me. Then you're getting right, you're getting much closer to the quality of intention. If this is not done, then there's a distraction. The forms of our attention continually set up resonances with bouncing off them. Does she think this? Does he want that? What's this about, you know? Now he's here, now he's not here. Um, and so that the intention is continually is changing and flickering, dependent purely on a, on a presence or absence of a physical form. So this is no way to train intent. It's not steady enough. When a person is present, absent, dead or whatever, still one maintains that intent, the intent of... of Metta Kurunamudito Pekai, like that. So this means that those qualities there are not just points triggered off by particular incidents and people. They're a domain of consciousness in which people arise and people pass and people move and people change and people cease. So this, if you like, is the process of taking the, uh, the detachment that begins to, to penetrate anatta by, by actually acknowledging and dismantling 
some of the psychological processes that set up this sense of me, here, that, there, till it's here, till it's just here. There's no me here, you there, this, that, you. So those, that, that is a process of perception. It's a process that goes on, that we act upon, and for many purposes is adequate, but for awakening is a, is a basic obstacle. You can't waken in that. You can be good in that. You can't waken in it. The cultivation, then the Buddha says of, of metta, for example, and he gives the, the uh, series of, of references specifically to the attractiveness or the unattractiveness that quality of being attracted or put, put aside or dismissed or um, repelled by things. And so someone who cultivates metta cultivates it through the experience of being attracted, through the experience of being repelled. When they feel pulled in to something, attracted to it, then they're able with, to recognize that which does not attract And still in this domain of metta. So, for example, I think the other year when I was in, uh, I was in California, you know, they took me to this uh, wild wildlife park, and um, went to see a play with these mountain lions, cougars. They had them in a kind of pen, you know, with a big glass thing. And one of these mountain lions had a glass glass wall, if you like. This mountain lion had its head right against the wall. It was kind of purring, scratching its head on the wall. This kind of glass wall, like a big pussy cat. And it was a lovable, fairly simple, great lovable creature, furry, cuddly, strokeable. I didn't get the slightest inclination to stick my hand in there. Hmm. So there's a recognition, that's an, to me, that was an attractive moment of attraction. And yet one can also recognise something that you know, pushes away, when it's repelled. I mean, I don't I dislike the creature, but there's a sense of, I'll soon be this side of the cage, thank you. <laughs> and yet, you know, within that, well, I could still maintain a feeling of the lovability, the well-being. I didn't experience a sense of fear, mistrust, um, you know, or aversion or anything like that. And so, similarly, you know, I think like his fingers too close to an otter, you'd have nip them off. And sometimes this is not understood. Um, with the creatures, other animals, people get, they see the attractiveness and they fail to see the unattractiveness. There's a story of a couple who took their little baby girl to a zoo in Canada. And they wanted, they were keen on photographs. They wanted to take a photograph of their little girl patting a bear. And they put some, they put some honey on the little girl's hand so the bear would lick it off. photo, so the bear took a bit of her hand off. You know, you know it's a, what do you think the bear's going to do? What think a grizzly bear and a head this size? You know, it's not Yogi Bear, it's not a cartoon bear. 
So they saw the lovability of the creature, they didn't see the, the, that which one should make one keep one's distance. Hmm? Similarly with other human beings, then, you know, one can appreciate and enjoy other people's company. I, I appreciate and enjoy other people's company. Also there's something in me that's, that feels, well, that's very nice, I think I want, want to be alone right now. <laughs> Doesn't I don't, you know, there's no diminishing of the feeling of well-being, but um, one, there's a sense of uh, wanting to, you know, wanting to enjoy also the quietness and just to sort of continually talk and engage with people. Um, there's a certain sort of dissipation of energy that occurs through that. So there's an unattractive. I don't say it's disgusting, I say it does not attract me. I enjoy company, I'm also, there's, there's also an unattractive quality to it. That doesn't diminish, in my mind, the feeling of, of metta. If one's conscious of it, then you're able to take your stand upon that. Now, if you're not able to take your stand upon it and be conscious of it, then you end up kind of feeling, um, uh, well, um, uh, I'm really busy right now. Um, you know, or you start kind of lying or, or fudging it or thinking or feeling resentful um, because you take the person experience literally. That's what happens isn't it, in, in the social realm. I mean, you probably, you know, those of you who are, are more involved with the social conventions, you know, how difficult it is to be when you, you have to be in some situation where actually you're bored to tears by it, some grotty party that you've got to go to because it's aunt so-and-so or it's the lads at the office, and you're trying to find some way and excuse to get out of it without offending people. <laughs> and you end up feeling kind of sense of negativity and resentment. And you have to say... Thank you very much. It's, thank you very much. It's been wonderful. Bye. <laughs> and that's to be accepted, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. in this whole domain of well-being, then then this 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 experience here is not separate from it. Mm-hmm. And trying to find that 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 in a way, when you actually steer towards that, that kind of establishes in specific detail what your conventional act, if you like, is going to be. And you obviously it can change, you know. Some days are different from others. But to really keep in touch with that, I, I find, is, is helpful. Karuna, then this um, quality certainly, it tends to extend one's... Uh, um, Domain, you know, because sometimes certainly things can be enjoyable, people can be enjoyable. <clears throat> Corona seems a little bit wider in that you do recognize whether um, there's a feeling of great well being, enjoying or not. There's a, there is uh, a cultivation of, of recognition of people's um, fallibility, helplessness, and then that sense of extending one's heart in that sphere. So beyond that which is purely pleasing and delightful into that which is actually uh, 
um, trains the intent to go a little bit further than just that which is purely agreeable or pleasant in, in terms of uh, an object. These are, let's say, the cultivations and the excellence of it. Um, the Buddha would say, in, in these are, you can cultivate all those brown behind that same respect. The excellence of it is that the quality of metta leads to what's called the, the domain of the beautiful. And if you begin to appreciate just what's actually happening, it makes a lot more sense that if, if that quality of consciousness is endowed with sense of well-being, then that's what you're living. You're living in a realm of well-being, sukhavati, the realm of the lovely, the realm of well-being. And this is the excellence of it. Through detachment and dispassion. Kaluna is, is uh, well, the, the, to the a sense of consciousness, of consciousness of pres- uh, a sense of the um, the objects the people, the things that one is practicing with are seen in, uh, uh, in more they're not so hard edged there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a non-finite quality about it when we tend to see people's um, foibles and difficulties as finite, as definite as what they are then you either get irritated or sad, you know, worried or, or annoyed. So the freeing up of that, that personality perception means that, you know, you're entering into to another person's process, then the worry and the sadness are, you know, fade. Because your intention is much more one of, of concern and, uh, and, and feeding and, and supporting in that way. So that the, the very quality of what you're experiencing as a person or as an issue or a situation tends to lose its boundaries. You don't get that kind of fixed lump feeling. It's much more a kind of sense of, of things coming and going, uh, perceptions coming and going. So it's a kind of freeing up or non-finite quality. It's called the realm of the non-finite in terms of a, uh, an object, in terms of a space, mudita is, the, is this when the same kind of thing applied to one's one's oneself, the sense of that the uh, consciousness, infinite, non-finite consciousness. <clears throat> These are very difficult terms to understand as abstract, but if we begin to recognise that non-finite is a is essentially the the blurring of the hard edges around either oneself, one's sense of kind of being separate, or another person being separate, or then being eternally one way or another, or limited to that particular set of circumstances, bound into that, and that the, the infinite is the moving out of that to something that's freed up and uh, uh, more supple, and more. then you get the whole feeling of the, of the lightning 
quality of the Brahma Vihara. They are, if you like, the, the Vihara or the abiding place of the Brahma. Brahma is the boundless, the boundless, um, called the boundless gods, if you the boundless sphere. There's no edges on it. And if you, we rec- you recognize that when things start to have definite hard edges around, then this is not a happy state of affairs. You're either into heavy attraction or heavy repugnance. <laughs> yeah. Just check, I mean, check it out for yourself. See what it's like. Right. Uh, this is a real kind of d- dilemma, I think, in, the, in terms of love and compassion. I, have, I deliberately avoided using those terms as much as possible, basically because they so often just stick to the lumpiness of things, you know, the hard edges, the finiteness of things. I love you, block, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and... You know, compassion. You actually kind of end up, sort of, continually fixing a person into into the role that your your intent wants to make them. So, so this doesn't seem to be a very liberating experience. And and then it all, it kind of goes gets wrong because uh, you know you can't expect the other person to continually remain as a love object or a, or a compassion object. So if you're going to, you know, you're going to India or something, where you've got these kind of nice little ideas about being compassionate to all beings, you start being all kind of, you know, you, then you just get taken for a ride, basically. Because <laughs> <laughs> you won't determine not to be compassionate objects. It's like, it's it's unmanageable. you just got to be awake. And that's why I think the Buddha woke up in India. Because it's the only way you can survive in India. <laughs> Because if you if you get caught up in sorrow, it's utterly miserable. Mm-hmm. You get caught up in some kind of idealistic uh, experience. It's it's murder. And if you look at it another way, you begin to reckon, what is it that, 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 that restricts or damages my potential, my right, if you like, to experience metta, to live in, to live in a lovely realm, to live in the domain of the beautiful? What, what, you know, what limits that? You know, there's something that I do, not, you know, not just a, people around here I don't like, you know. But what do I do? Do I have some say over that, where I'm going to live? And you reckon, yeah, it's through, basically through these practices that develop anatta. You begin to, you know, not see people as part of my scene, my act. Don't be so selfish. Don't be so self-centered. Don't believe in one's own views and opinions. And then that the anatta is this kind of risk-taking, which means that you know I'm going to go beyond my my embarrassment levels and my, my protectiveness and my don't enter my space sort of feelings. Yeah. 
into something that's a little more, you know, getting a bit of contact going, actually. You know, which is not, I'm not talking about a kind of physical thing, but, but, but into something that's where one does really acknowledge and recognize what other people that experience is doing and the emotional flows that happen through that. And they're not wanting it to happen. And they're not even to, wanting to acknowledge that one doesn't want it to happen. <laughs> yeah. So this process of empathy is, is something that uh, the experience of others actually awakens us to all the othering that's happening here in me. All the hemming and hurring and theming and ussing that's happening here in me. And all the they should and why don't they is happening here in me. And all that. And then why? What is one trying to protect? What is one frightened of? What doesn't one want to feel? And then to approach that with a mind of metta. You know, that, that these things are laudable virtues. But you don't have just... It's not a question, as with any meditation, of what you want to do, what you like to be. It's what you're capable of. And it's acknowledgement of... This empathy is a definite activity that has to be strengthened and you have to recognize your capacity, like the ability to focus on the breath, for example. You know, we're doing that kind of meditation. Well, yes, certainly this is very good. But can you acknowledge that you can't actually sustain more than two breaths and then practice from there? Rather than you come to this idea of Anapanasati and blah, blah, blah. Now then, can you actually acknowledge that maybe, yes, I'd like to love all sentient beings, but basically I can't stand spiders. <laughs> <laughs> and women with frizzy orange hair make me feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, for you. <laughs> and, you know, so what then, okay, that's that. Now there's acknowledgement there now. Can I actually see what's happening for me? What am I disturbed by? Or, you know, can, or the, the fact that one doesn't want to have something happen that is unfamiliar, or unprotected, or that affects you too deeply, or reminds you of something. And this is the limitation of our, of our capacity. So then when you begin to understand the limitations of your capacity, then those edges, your edges, now they're, they're not edges out there, they're not lumps out there, they're the lumping, the of your own edginess, your own shyness, your own lack of confidence, your own vulnerability. And, those, and if, if those are not acknowledged, then they will remain that way. We will remain vulnerable and protective, and therefore seemingly indifferent and invulnerable. <laughs> you know, because when you're vulnerable, you're extremely capable of, 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 of protecting that vulnerability with a nice crisp, hard shell. So these are things that uh, individually and as a community we have to acknowledge our capacities and then sustain intention within ourselves for ourselves and for others to help us to grow through that, through recognizing where our perceptual um, mechanisms take over, where one does feel repelled where one does feel taken back, where one does suddenly panic and scurry out the door, where you do kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, so what? 
uh, whether there's that kind of contracting, hmm? or whether there's that sort of blurring into attraction of some kind. Hmm? And you see, these are attractions, the signs of things that we have not fully cultivated in ourselves. Therefore, it's out there because like, I haven't got it here. And until there's this kind of understanding, then there's never going to be a foundation, a full, firm foundation for awakening. Because, and this is an understanding that it is here, that I'm doing, it's happening for me now, this process of dissenting. And non and and struggling and conflict, if it is happening, it's only if that's seen as something that's happening here for me that there will be there will actually determine the right intent to work on it. If it's something that's happening out there, then your intention doesn't really matter, does it? If it's all objects, if it's all them, but when it's seen as something that's subject to my practice, then yes, we can, we can work with that. You, uh, you find these domains, and these domains themselves, like the sphere of the beautiful, that, that sense of the loveliness of things, the spaciousness of things, the vastness of things, you know, the, 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 the coolness, the serenity of things, itself is something you, you can experience and then it leads to the stopping of those dissenting, separating activities and the possibility to relinquish the roots of it. The complete letting go. This human sphere is the ideal one for the Buddha's teaching, Buddha, the human being, manifests in this realm. This is the ideal sphere for it. So you always got to be willing to acknowledge and check out your experience in terms of the ordinary limitations and essential ingredients of the human sphere. Elemental existence. Sympathy, whether you empathize or not, you're bound to get resonance, connectedness. And so this is where you see how, and you begin to recognize how your calm, your activities have to, your, your effects, your causes, your practices, your manifestations, if you like, on this kind of level of or being somebody, are informed and intuned by the experience of being nobody. It can only work that way. You can only really feel comfortable being somebody when you recognize you're prepared to not be anybody. That is, you experience that you can see things in terms of the experience of the pure presence rather than taking stands and positions.
and being not having a, a position or being managing to relinquish that still you recognize that on this manifest level you this is this is the realm of common still the actions and the interactions it's like you know when you're playing music eventually you realize that the the real attunement to it is in your own heart but whether you like it or not you still got to play in the band This is where you learn. Mm-hmm.